Okay, we're going to pick up here back um, talking about things that will hinder um, our progress in trying to uh, help children uh, and not provoke them to wrath. Uh, so we talked about the idols, um, and uh, if you didn't get all those idols, here they are. Now, idol of comfort, respect, appreciation, success, and control. And remember, in idolatry, uh, all of these things uh, are not inherently wrong. I mean, children are to respect their parents. That's true. And in one sense, we must require that, and parents must require that. Uh, there's a good thing to teach kids appreciation. The point of this is that when that becomes an idol in the heart of the parent, and how do we know it's an idol? Because they're sinning in order to get it. They're sinning if they don't get it, or they're sinning to try to keep it. Right? So that's part of what happens when parents respond in anger because they haven't received maybe these things that are good and right, but it's become too important to the parents. Um, so another one would be, another thing that might hinder helping your child handle, handle anger is not admitting when you're wrong. Not admitting when you're wrong. Um, there's, there's still this mindset that does prevail, that parents should never admit, never tell their children they were wrong. That has, I have heard that um, from time to time. Uh, but I think that is, um, that is going to exasperate exasperate the child. Um, the, uh, the scriptures even tell us in James 5, confess your trespasses to one another. Admit wrong to the appropriate people. Not keeping your word would also hinder helping your child with anger. Not keeping your word. Not letting your yes be yes and your no be no, Matthew 5, 37. Um, do not lie to one another, Colossians 3. Verse 9, not keeping your word. Tension between parents, we've talked about that already uh, as well, but that will also um, not help your child. There will be bitterness that springs up between uh, them. Not leading a child to Christ and his way, leading them to something else. Right? Again, we talk about the goals of parenting. Um, if we have goals of athletic prowess, and that becomes more important, and I'm just speaking on athletics because I love them. I love athletics, um, love playing them, love watching them, but if that becomes the child's God, we've led them to a wrong God, right? We've led them somewhere different than uh, leading them to Christ and his way we replace that. Um, uh, perhaps, <coughs> excuse me, we're not letting, um, we're not trying to reach the child's heart. We're just dealing with behavior. We want to see that um, uh, not only um, uh, behave the right way, but we want them to love Christ and walk in his way. Seeking to live your life vicariously through the life of the child. Again, you, you see this in sports, but you can see it in other arenas too. Uh, music, education, right? The, the dad that can never go to college is just certain his kid is going to go to college and he's going to do everything, and that becomes the dominant theme of life, and the child is expected to go and excel do all that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of other arenas. We think of it baseball or we think of it football or some other sport potentially, and that's true too, but they press their child so hard. Why? Because they want to live vicariously through their child uh, and their life. And if it's the last thing I do, I'm going to make sure that you get to be 
this great athlete, this great educator, this uh, particular artist, piano player, whatever it could be. Okay. So these are all things we need to be watching out for. All things that we need to be carefully thinking through as we're helping parents um, with their uh, parenting of children. Things that can hinder uh, helping ch children with their anger. Um, another way that we are to um, fulfill the command to not uh, bring your children up to an angry, impulsive lifestyle. Uh, one of the things that parents can do is to build relationships with their children, or sometimes they have to rebuild the relationship with their children. Okay, maybe it's um, a little bit older child, and they have to do some rebuilding with their child. Um, they need to spend time with them. Um, they need to ask God, help me understand my child. Help me understand my child. Um, sometimes you parent a child that is completely unlike you in a lot of ways. And you just don't understand what makes them tick. Well, we need to find out what makes them tick and help, ask God to help me understand my child uh, so that you can build relationships with them. Um, even teenagers... That's, that's, the, that's the idiom that is often said. Nobody understands teenagers, right? Nobody understands them. Uh, teenagers feel that way sometimes. <laughs> you don't understand me, right? Uh, Paul Tripp's book, and I'm just going to mention this to you because you can go look at it uh, for yourself. In his Age of Opportunity, in um, one of the chapters he has, he lists several characteristics of teens as found in the book of Proverbs. They have no hunger for wisdom. They have a tendency toward legalism. They tend to be unwise in their choice of companions. They're susceptible to, to, to sexual temptation. They don't have heart awareness. There's a lot of these things that uh, come out in the heart of the teenager that Proverbs describes, and, and it's good for parents to be aware of that, to understand where their children are at. Again, there's an intentionality of building a relationship with them and knowing where they're at. Um, so that's, that's really important. Um, be a goal-oriented parent, a goal-oriented parent, again, with the right goal uh, of them becoming um, God's kind of person to bring him glory. Okay? So they're, you're after the heart. When the child tests you most, he needs help the most. That's true. That's true. In those moments, and that's a change in perspective, again, from a self-centered perspective to a God-centered others focused perspective isn't it if it's a man you're testing me and you're stepping on my idol versus you're testing me now right now this is when i need to be most engaged because you need the most help commending character strengths would be another way we build relationships render honor to whom honor is due romans 13 undivided a time Blocks of uninterrupted time. Asking forgiveness when you need to ask forgiveness. It's part of admitting you're wrong, but also going forward and asking forgiveness. It helps to model that forgiveness with their kids. I, I've tried to do this some in uh, terms of um, it's hard to humble yourself and ask for forgiveness. But, but as I do, what I have found is when I say, hey, hey would you forgive dad <clears throat> Excuse me, for sinning against you? And what is the child going to say? It's okay. It's okay, Dad. Right? 
And, and I've learned to kind of step back and say, well, you know, it's not okay because it wasn't okay that I sinned. So what I need you to do is to forgive me. And that's trying to help them see, I'm, we're not just passing this off, right? And it's not okay. I need you to forgive dad. And kids are really good. I'll forgive you, right? <laughs> Typically, they, they're a little bit easier to give forgiveness than, than adults are. But I think that's, that's helpful to remember, ask forgiveness. Teach skills, spend time doing projects together. Teach them the skills they need to live outside the home. That's part of spending time with them. Um, you know, how do they manage money? What do they do if they get a flat tire? All these kinds of just life skills that they need to build as well. Express love to them. Uh, appropriate expressions of love. They need to learn those. Teach them what is appropriate uh, in that vein as you express love to them. But, but show them love. Let your sensitivity show uh, as well. Um, Growing up, I, I think expressing love and, and letting your sensitivity show, there's a, a definition for fathers in particular of manhood that they get from the culture that it's kind of like you never show any kind of sensitivity, never show any kind of emotion, never, you're stoic, you're kind of hard. Um, and really, I, I don't think that's as helpful. I don't think that's biblical. Um, uh, men are strong, there's no doubt, but men are also tender, right? They're, they're compassionate, they're gracious. And, and there, there needs to be that sense too with fathers and their kids where they're, they're expressing love, they're, they're telling their kid, I love you. It may be awkward for many people, but it needs to become natural so that they hear, I love you, right? None of the, uh, well, I love you and I'll just tell you if it's different, right? One day, if, if it ever changes, no. Let them know you love them. And I think there's also a sense of expressing love, telling them you're going to love them, and your love is not based on um, how, uh, how they act or what they do, right? It's not based on that. I love you, and, I, and it's not going to change. Right? There's some stability there. Dedicate yourself to the child and to God. Um, dedicate yourself and the child to God uh, as well. Um, that's part of building relationships. Grandparents are supportive as well. If you're in the grandparent realm um, or you're even helping grandparents and you can um, instruct them to be supportive and uh, come alongside, teach the kids all you do for them is for their benefit and God's glory. Inform them of that. Teach them how to do that. Um, they're not always going to believe that. What I'm doing for you is for your benefit and God's glory. And they're like, yeah, right. Uh, just like we did when we were kids. Eventually they'll see that. Um, and then also, how do we help them not, uh, how do we help not bring them up to an impulsive and wrathful lifestyle? We teach them how to handle problems. We teach them how to handle problems so that they're not crushed. They don't have a broken spirit. That's Proverbs 18, 14. The spirit of man will sustain him in sickness, but who can bear a broken spirit? We want them to have hope, to see hope in us. Okay. Um, we want to teach them how to handle rejection, hurt feelings, model problem solving. Right. 
So we want to do all of that. How do you handle all of these things? They're going to need these kind of, um, uh, these kind of skills throughout their life. Uh, and we're going to walk alongside them. There's a caution. Children may say, you're hurting, you've hurt my feelings, right? If you've corrected them. And at times, you can assess whether you've been sinful or not, for sure, as a parent. But oftentimes, children say, well, you've hurt my feelings, as though hurting the feelings is like, you know, the, the pinnacle of, of, um, of betrayal. You've hurt my feelings, right? And sometimes that's going to happen. And sometimes it's, it's there to, to correct or sidestep the problem. So um, we've got to uh, consider that, even how to handle those hurt feelings. Teach them how to appeal to authority, how to approach authority. If kids can never appeal to your authority, then it's going to be challenging for them because they won't know how to appeal to authority in the future, right? Sometimes it's, I'm never going to let them appeal my authority, right? Um, obviously, we have to carry authority, for sure, within the home, but they need to know how to do that, how to correct authority, and how to do it gently and carefully, okay? So that's our goal uh, in parenting. That's our goal in parenting. A lot, right? But by God's grace, uh, we can and uh, we can learn to, and our counselees can learn to please the Lord uh, as they walk through that. So let's look at the two um, areas from Ephesians chapter six, verse four, uh, that we talked about. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. This is the negative side. That's what we've been talking a lot about so far. How do we not bring them up in a, in a uh, impulsive and wrathful lifestyle? What are the things we want to be careful to not do and to do in the midst of that? Now let's go to the positive side to look at bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And the first one we're going to look at is instruction. Um, instruction. So teaching or instruction fits under this idea of admonition. Okay, it fits under the idea of admonition. Um, the idea of instruction is to put into the mind or to build inner convictions, okay, to nurture this in there, okay? Um, the goal is for them to be God's kind of people, okay? Again, if we go back to this idea of um, discerning thinking and behavior that is not biblical and then changing that to discern the kind of thinking and behavior that is biblical and to implement that in our instruction, that's our goal, okay? Really, which is not much different than the goal of biblical counseling, right? Biblical counseling is helping somebody who is... Um, gotten kind of this thinking and behavior and, 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 and desires that, that are not biblical and, and we're trying to help them discern what is biblical and how they're going to handle life and their problems, right? That's, that's biblical counseling in general for, the, for, the God's glory, for God's glory and the person's benefit. Uh, in instruction, we are always after the heart of the child. We are always after the heart of the child. Many teens seem to depart from the faith when they get older, but the truth is they never really had a heart of faith. 
to begin with because their hearts were not reached. Again, we have to talk about um, our reliance upon the Spirit of God because we can't change their hearts. Good. Yeah, I think that's an excellent question. So the question is, how do we, do we do this with an evangelistic focus, or are we just assuming they have been converted and can do it? Um, I think there's, uh, the gospel is going to need to be rich in both and setting, right? So um, as we instruct them in the gospel, um, and we're not going to assume that they're converted necessarily, right, from young, but we are going to share the gospel with them in an evangelistic setting, but I think we do also require biblical principles, right? Not to make a hypocrite. That's why targeting the heart is really critical, right? But helping them see their sin, their need for Christ, right? And, and that can be done and that should be done both to unbelieving children and to believing children, right? So that, that there's, a, there's an instruction to them that targets the heart that helps them see if they're lost, their need for Christ and their need to repent and believe. But that repentance and belief is not going to go away. Once they're converted, they still need to live a life of that as well in reliance upon Christ. So I think as we infuse the gospel and help them understand, we can really begin to set the stage for them as we, as we really package um, or, or insulate them. I can't think of another word. Surround them maybe with the gospel truths from young, uh, with young children uh, in an evangelistic way continuing to have conversations with them sometimes in a christian home this is kind of uh, i don't i don't want to chase this rabbit too far right I, I see a rabbit and i like to run for it um but sometimes in a, in a christian home right there, there may not always be sometimes there is but there may not always be kind of this like okay um the child came to faith right here right and, and we kind of know the time and the date that they came to faith sometimes that does happen i'm not saying it doesn't um, sometimes in a Christian home, as they grow up with it, there is a moment of conversion, for sure. But um, sometimes it's just they're, they're, uh, we're, we're training them in that, right? We're helping them understand the gospel richness. And so that really highlights the importance of the gospel in all of our child rearing, right? Especially in the instruction. But when they're targeting their hearts, that's what we're after, so that we're not just saying, you got to keep these rules, because that's what a good, um, a good person does. And, and we might create Pharisees because we haven't targeted their heart and they've never actually come to faith in Christ, right? So, good question. Yeah. Um, many people or many parents only think of bringing up children in correction. We're going to talk about discipline. Um, uh, so that, again, the behavior is the only idea, so we kind of just make sure they're doing the right behaviors. Um, but... That's not all there is to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, okay? Uh, so we want to train them. What are the biblical motives for instruction? What are the biblical motives? Why are, what are we motivated by? Well, first, we've got to recognize that we are the parents, or you, the parent, you tell the individual, are responsible for, to God, and you must give an account. So there's an awareness of their accountability uh, in the parent's life, and we, we said this last time briefly, but um, they need to know that 
uh, they are responsible to give instruction to the child. Uh, they are responsible to uh, shape them or, or allow the Word of God to shape them and their instruction to shape them so that someone is teaching them. And that's true, isn't it? Someone's always shaping the life of the child. I remember several years ago, it was a Disney movie that came out. Um, uh, it was Beauty and the Beast, and there was a lot of just um, the, kind of the live-action one. There was a lot of issues about you know, some of the content and that, and, and it was kind of this idea that, you know, um, the, the way that it was spoken of in Christian circles that I, that I kind of discerned was that, you know, you can no longer just put your kids in front of Disney and allow them to watch it, right, without being there and helping them. And I, and I remember thinking, well, have we, should we have ever been able to do that? Right? As though I could just put them in front of Disney and it was safe back then. But frankly, Disney for a long time has not been teaching our kids biblical principles, right? It's almost we could just absentmindedly stick them in front of the TV and that's okay. Well, what I think parents have to realize is something is always shaping the kid. Somebody is always influencing the children. And God has given parents responsibility. You are required to instruct your child in the ways of the Lord. Deuteronomy 4.9 would be one text. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6 and 7 would be another text. Ephesians 6, 4, obviously, the text we are looking at as well. And there's a lot of things that will shape the life of a child. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 and following speaks of a whole list of ways that it says in the last days people will be like this, right? Lovers of self and... Um, there's all kinds of influences that you're going to see in the world. Um, I'll just list out some of these from that 2 Timothy 3. Relativism, um, selfism, appealing to the flesh, um, uh, emotionalism, led by feelings. Feelings is, in our culture, the highest authority right now. It's the highest authority. And again, to go back to um, just what is shaping our children. Um, uh, cartoons, movies have for a long time said, you have to follow your heart. That's uh, kind of, and my, my kids have gotten so tired of that, of, of hearing me every time it comes on saying, that's not true. They got so tired of that. Why? Because they're like, I know this is wrong. Right? They just heard me over and over say it. And, and saying, and now what they'll do is when they hear it, they say, I know, Dad, we're not supposed to follow our heart. I know, Dad. We're not so old. But, but that's shaping them. It's shaping them to say, whatever I feel, I can do. And whatever I feel inside is the way I need to be. So emotionalism, living for what is present without any sense of the future. Again, that's a proverb. Um, that's a proverb person. Somebody that doesn't live for the future, it's a, that's a teenager, it's simple, but lives only for the present. Materialism, right? Earn the most money, have the nicest things, that's the goal in life. Um, the one who gets the most toys wins. Autonomy, rejection of authority, victimization, and it's not my fault. It's never my fault, right? It's never my fault. It's always somebody else's fault. I'm just the victim, um, we, we lack doing hard things. 
right? I want to take the easy route. That's just part of what happens in our world. And Paul Tripp says one of the, he, he believes one of the greatest idols is the idol of comfort and pleasure in our world right now. And, and I think that's true in a lot of senses. But that's the kind of influence that is coming into our kids. And, and here's the thing, as, as I read through this list, I think to myself, well, how much am I being influenced by this? Right? I'm supposed to instruct my children in this. But how much have I bought into these ideas that my feelings and, and, and living for the present and materialism and, and things of that nature? So, so parents are going to have to learn this too. Right? If they don't want their kids to be influenced by the things of the world, uh, then maybe three jobs by the dad when he doesn't need three jobs is probably a bad idea because he's been influenced by materialism and greed. Does that make sense? It's just, it's just helping them understand that. These are part of their commands. God commands us to teach, and we have to be aware of what is shaping the kids' lives. So many things, social media, pop culture, entertainment, friends, school teachers, church leaders, family, you can go down the list. There's all kinds of influences in our kids' lives. And parents need to be aware of that and need to be aware of their responsibility in helping them with this, which means they're going to have to be involved, involved in their kids' lives. I don't know if we've said this yet, but they're going to have to be active. Instead, I don't know if it's coming across. They're responsible to God, and they must give an account for that. They are parents, are stewards of God's gifts of children. They don't own the child. God owns the child. They are stewards, and they have to act in that manner to instruct them and to help them. That's a, a responsibility. I think the other thing that parents need to recognize is the child has a sin nature and must be taught. A sin nature and must be taught. The world's going to say something like, you know, they have the flame of divinity within them, or you just got to fan the goodness that's inside the child, right? Which, which is really why the self-esteem movement, I think, gained so much traction is because there was never a sense of um, training the child. It was just affirming everything in the child, and then they were going to flourish. Why? Because it was based on a premise that there's good stuff there, that it's, it's actually goodness, and you've got to kind of just encourage that goodness inside of them and it's going to be okay but scriptures say the opposite the scriptures say man has a sin nature and your the child is no different so instead of coming out prepackaged with goodness they come out prepackaged with a sin nature and that sin nature has to be trained okay it has to be taught um parents have to be convinced that god's way is best that God's way is best, and it's essential to the blessed life. It's essential. Psalm chapter 1 is an excellent psalm. Verse 1 through 3 is so marvelous. Oh, how happy. Blessed is the one who. That should perk everybody's ears up. Okay. What does it look like to thrive in God's world? And that's what the psalmist is trying to tell us. And, and he goes on to, to talk about not avoiding the, the path of the wicked and, and meditating on the law of God and, and the results that will come. And parents have to be convinced of that, that God's way is superior. God's way is best. So these, um, when, they're, when they're operating off of parenting principles, this is not like a, um, you know, let me give it a try 
and if it doesn't produce the results I want, then I'll, I'll, I'll kind of scrap it, right? Um, no, this is, parents have to be convinced this is God's way and it's always the best way. And they have to reorient their goals, perhaps, but um, they also have to recognize that uh, we are teaching with a goal in mind. Again, don't, don't get too far away from the goal. Make disciples. And this is not disciples of us, but disciples of Christ. Hopefully they're learning by example what it looks like to be a disciple of Christ from their parents. But there's a goal that we have in our instruction. These are biblical motives for instruction. How are we to instruct? How are we to teach? Um, well, Deuteronomy chapter 6. I want you to go there. Deuteronomy chapter 6 if you have your Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Um, give some fantastic um, fantastic information here about how we instruct. Verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them dil excuse me, diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Well, how are we supposed to teach them all the time? That's the sense of it, isn't it? Everywhere you go, all the places that you go, you're supposed to teach. Now, when we think of a teacher, we think of a classroom setting often, like this, right? You come to a class, you come, you sit down, you have a teacher, they're instructing, it's a formal time, we open our Bibles, we open our notebooks, and, and there's places for that. I think that, that's needed instruction within the family home, right? Uh, there is certainly that, but there are a multitude of opportunities that happen within the just ebb and flow of life that we cannot waste and teach our kids and teach our children all the time. In every moment, how are we going to teach our kids to view all of life through the lens of God's word if we're not teaching them about all of life, in all of life, about God? We've got to do that in every way, okay? God never intended for everyone in the home to be a teacher in the classroom type setting. Certainly, that is needed. But uh, they have to continue to teach in every aspect, okay? So, fathers, mothers, that's the requirement. And again, God has set parents, mom and dad, as the primary disciples in the home. The Proverbs makes that clear as well as Ephesians. Christ taught this way most often. He taught formally, but he often taught just in the um, everyday circumstances of life, and he often used those kind of analogies in just the everyday, common, ordinary circumstances of life. Okay? So, showing and telling that 
In fact, many teaching opportunities are not planned. They happen spontaneously, which, by the way, actually relates to um, parenting in a way that is not just, oh, this is an inconvenience to me, so I have to get this done as quick as possible. Many times those moments are great teaching moments that we're wasting because we just don't want to be inconvenienced. We want to get back to what we're doing, and we have just blown a perfect teaching opportunity with our child. So this helps us understand. Um, many, many parents that you'll talk to don't feel adequate. Maybe sometimes the father thinks that they have to sit down and do a full exposition of the text and bring great application and, and, and bring a 30-minute sermon to their children or they haven't done their job. Okay? And I think they're, they're again, not discounting the formal times of devotion. Hear me clearly there. Um, but I think the parent needs to start where they're at, right? They have to start where they're at. Right? Many parents don't feel adequate, maybe because they're struggling themselves with understanding God's word, right? And I think they're, a, a parent like that, you're going to have to help encourage them. In some ways, you can encourage them in, in starting where they're at is that they need to be in prayer, because it's God that's going to change their heart. They're, again, they're not going to say a magic word that's going to change the heart of the person. It's God's word being used by God's spirit that's going to change the heart, which means they need to pray and rely on the Lord. They need to trust him to do the work because God knows where they're at right now and what he expects them to do, so they're going to have to trust. But they can also learn to be equipped. I think we have to challenge parents who don't know much of the word to be equipped in the word, okay? It's like, well, the reason I don't really teach my kids is because I don't know. Well, let's change that then. Let's do something about that. Let's be equipped in the word. Again, that's that 2 Peter 3.18, grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's an expectation for them as well. They need to be growing and striving for maturity in their own lives, uh, and then really, when it comes to instruction, they need to strive to be faithful. They're not going to be perfect. They're not going to be perfect. But they need to strive to be faithful in trying to take advantage of the opportunities that God gives them and presents to them. Here's several ways that I think you can, um, in the routine of life, talk through this. By question and answer. Um, by question and answer. Asking good questions that draw out the kid, right? Even if they've done something wrong, asking good questions can help prick the conscience. Accusation often hardens the will. Accusations can often harden the will. But if you're instructing them in the moment by question and answer, it's helpful to them, okay? Use natural curiosity. Oftentimes you'll see this in the Old Testament where as they set up memorials with 12 stones, they do that. They, they keep the Passover in Exodus 13, and they're commanded to keep the Passover, excuse me, at the end of Exodus 12. Why? One of the reasons is so that when their kids go, why are we doing this? They have ready-made opportunity. Oh, let me teach you about what God did, right? This natural curiosity. Kids are asking questions, and we can get exasperated with the questions, and parents can be like, man, I'm just so tired of this kid asking questions. We can use those as opportunities. Parents can use those as opportunities. Stimulate their curiosity um, with these things, okay? 
questions, here would be an example to stimulate the curiosity. Do you know what the difference is between a wise man and a fool? That's a helpful question, and hear what they have to say. What is the difference? And then you can show them in the scriptures. Here's what the Bible says is the difference. There needs to be humility. Sometimes the parent gets a little proud, especially if they're a little bit unsure of what the scriptures would say. And listen, as a pastor, a parent, my kids, at least for a while, thought, well, he's a pastor, he knows. He has to know the answer to this question, right? Uh, and I've joked with the Sunday school teachers and said, hey, my kid asked the question. I told him that's a Sunday school teacher. <laughs> <laughs> you got the answer, don't you? And, and sometimes, though, there can be a, a sense of pride that says I have to know the answer, so I don't want to say I don't know. And it's better, though, for a parent to say, I don't know, than to snow them, right? To, to trick them, to act like I do know when I don't know. Um, so by question and answer, in normal life situations, in normal life situations, crisis moments, and depending on the age of your child, um, those crisis moments uh, could be a crisis to them at the moment, so we got to take that seriously. We may think that's, you don't even know what a crisis is, kid. Right? I don't even know what that means yet. But it's a crisis at the moment, so you can use that as an opportunity. Um, again, normal life situations, as they uh, grow, you, your budgeting, your thinking about uh, those type of things, uh, you're helping them learn how much money it's going to take, so they want to buy something. You're saying, well, how much money is it going to take? For you to get that, how long will you have to save up? Those are, again, just part of good financial stewardship. That's just an example in normal life situations, um, you know, where they're complaining uh, in the moment, um, uh, boy and girl relationships, dating, um, courtship, whatever it is that is um, that you're talking about, um, preparing them for future relationships in normal life. These are normal life situations. I think that we... Uh, in the dating, let me mention this. I, I think that we're talking about boy and girl relationships. I think you just should be very careful about joking about those things, right? Like just teasing and joking in that realm. Sometimes the only conversations parents have with their daughters or their sons is only in teasing about the other person, the, the opposite sex, right? That's about the instructions they get on dating and relationship is oh, this teasing and this, this, this kind of making fun and, and about that. And, and what it causes a lot of times children to do, who likes to be teased about that, especially at that age and they're embarrassed, what it's going to cause them to do a lot is just go inside. They're not going to ask you any more questions. They're never going to come to you and say, what do you think about this? What do you think about this girl? What do you think about this guy? What, what do you think? Why? Because they know when they come, you're probably going to tease them. Make sense? I think we have to be really, really cautious about that. Okay. So there's all kinds of opportunities in normal life situations. Parental example, again, this is a critical one. Parental example, how you live before them uh, is critical. Um, how are you sensitive to God's word? Are you modeling in areas of life? That's what we're asking. Right? Um, when they see you sit in church, how do they see your um, your, uh, whether you're into the sermon 
or whether you're dozing off, right? whether you're taking notes, whether you're attentive and paying attention to God's word. That'd just be one example, right? Um, you know, are you uh, engaged? Do you talk about the word? Do you live the word in front of them? What is your value system, parent? Again, are you influenced by the things of the world or are you more concerned about loving God and loving neighbor and serving people? Um, you know, is, um, is the messiness of the house more important than serving people? All that kind of stuff. Um, are you an example of Christ's love in, um, in, the, uh, in your marriage? How you handle trials? Um, so we want to teach them how to handle life and circumstances, and the parent needs to learn how to do that as well. How do they handle suffering? How do they respond to that? Do, are they watching God in the midst of that? Are, they, are the parents quitters? Do they easily give up? It's an idol of comfort just so important to them. How they handle anger, conflicts. Um, again, conflicts with teenagers can reveal the heart idol of a parent. How do you handle authority? I think this one's important. How do you handle authority? We want to teach kids to live under authority, and sometimes parents don't like to live under authority, right? Um, I, uh, I'm not going to uh, go too deep into this, but I think COVID revealed a lot of hearts when it came to authority. Just, just blanket statements, okay? Just blanket statements. But I think this is true, um, whether it's uh, speed limits, right? How do we handle authority there? Are we... Um, happy to not live under authority, but then we want our kids to live under authority. Does that make sense? So, so what are we doing? Are we, man, if you're constantly complaining about authority, if parents are constantly complaining about authority, I've met parents that just constantly complain about what the government is doing. And it's just like a, a broken record tape over and over. And I just, there are times when you think, oh, yes, kids are going to pick up on this and kids are going to think the same way. And one day it's not going to be the government, it's going to be your authority. Because we've trained them by our example not to live under authority. That's critical, parental example. How we handle mistakes and failures uh, as well. Formally, we don't want to, we, we've talked a lot about just the, the routine of life, but there's also a formal aspect of this as well, where maybe there's a bit more structure. There should be a family devotion time. Sometime where the, the family gathers around the word, even if it's a couple of verses to think about. Um, you know, moms can, uh, moms have major influence um, in their kids. And if it's a mom that has the, a privilege of an, an opportunity just to be able to spend some more time with the kids, uh, memorizing scripture with the kids and helping them um, learn to live under God's word. Maybe it's even moments where there's just tension in the family and you have to sit the entire family down and say, okay, we've got to deal with what's going on in the house right now because the house is erupted and there are conflicts everywhere and we need to deal with these conflicts in a way that honors God. So let's see what God has to say about how we need to act and remind each other these things, okay? Um, uh, this is what parents can do. Um, uh, there's many, many different tools that you'll learn. And I use, one of the tools I often use is the conference table um, tool. You'll learn that in the conflict resolution if you haven't yet. 
at least it's just a tool that they can sit down and there are rules they have to go by um, so that as they talk, they can do so in a God-honoring way, but they're, they're trying to solve problems, right? Uh, and they're trying to deal with those and, and they can bring those conflict resolution principles right into the family and, and help them. Uh, some of the other formal things that the, uh, the dad should lead the way, again, maybe, and, and we're assuming at times here in this context that the dad is leading the way that both parents are believers. Sometimes you might just be talking to a mom and she's going to have to be faithful where she's at, right? If she doesn't have a believing dad or, or something of that nature, she may have to be faithful where she's at. So there should be some kind of formal times where um, the parents are ready for it. I think parents um, uh, should know their kids and even study with their kids' strengths and weaknesses in mind. They can help them in those moments. How do I know? Where is this uh, particular child strong? Where are they weak? Um, be practical. Don't just give a big old theological treatise um, to show how much you know and then have very little practicality and fill the brains of the kid without really any sense of um, how this plays out in their lives. Um, so these are many ways that we can teach uh, that we are required to teach and called by God to teach uh, our children. What is it? What should the instruction look like? What are we to teach them? Attentiveness. This is a sense of obedience. The, the Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, we, we read, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. right we're, we're teaching them how to obey, how to honor their parents, how to live under God-given authority. Okay? That, that's what, one of the things we have to teach them. Um, we're teaching them doctrine. We're teaching them what um, about God, right? And we're not trying to talk over their heads, but the scriptures are given Second Timothy three fifteen through seventeen, um, so that they know uh, the scriptures are given to teach doctrine. That's part of what the reason they're given. And this is where we teach them the gospel, right? To be saved, they, they need to know that. Right? They're not. Again, they don't come out knowing this. We've got to teach them the gospel, who God is, who they are, um, at the level that they can grasp. They need to know how to mature in Christ and in sanctification. They need to know appropriate standards and rules, how it is that they need to develop their biblical standards. They need to know difference between principle and application, right? Um, what the Word of God means in, in, in terms of its interpretation and, and how that should play out in their lives. Um, how to be good stewards. How to solve problems would be another one. The four rules of communication from Ephesians 4. Being humble enough to admit they're wrong and how to do so. Solving problems, making decisions, um, using God's principles. Scripture application, right? Because um, decision-making is a very, very crucial one that they're going to have to know long-term. Okay, How do they make principles without um, just, just trying to figure out the signs or this mystical idea? How, how can they take God's principles and apply them to life? Loving and serving others. Loving and serving others, Philippians 2, 5 through 9. 
um, to begin the day with praise. That's helpful as they're getting up to go to school. Whatever that is, beginning the day with praise, handling trials biblically, returning good for evil. Oh, you'll have plenty of opportunities for this, especially if they have siblings. Mm. How to forgive. Forgiveness is a promise, right? Not feeling oriented. Love is giving, not, not, not selfish, not, not self-centered. Love gives. How to be content. Oh, man, there's going to be so many good opportunities in these times. You see how God is just giving parents all kinds of opportunities everywhere to instruct, being content, making disciples, how to uh, make disciples of others, how to come alongside others as well, how to be a godly husband, how to be a godly wife, how to be a godly parent. God has given children to their parents so that their parents can help them become disciples of Christ, right? Parents can't guarantee that, but they come alongside and instruct them in these ways to help them become disciples of Christ, okay? 12.20 on the dot, lunchtime. Let me uh, just remind you of a couple things. We're going to eat again in here. Um, Baked potato bar, food line is in the hallway. I'm going to pray for us for lunch. Uh, and then we will um, head out there to eat. And just a little after one, we'll come back in here and talk about discipline. Father, oh, you are so gracious. You're so gracious to give us your word, to not just leave us um, hopeless and helpless, uh, even though at times we admit we feel that way when it comes to these kinds of situations and circumstances. But Father, you've given us your sufficient word and your sufficient a sufficient Savior with your sufficient Spirit. And I pray, Father, that we would um, learn and grow ourselves from what we hear from your Word and that we would also um, be equipped to be able to help others who are just struggling and trying to find a way to please and honor you. Thank you for uh, lunch today. Thank you for the people that have been working diligently to prepare us and serve us. And uh, I pray that you will bless this food. Uh, to our bodies. Ask in Christ's name.